filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Adam was supposed to start. Adam said he was going to lead, but him making the same joke that he made on Slack. Adam, I didn't say I was going to lead. I said I would make that joke during the course of that. Was wasn't that how we got Gentlemen, to this point? I'm David S. Pumpkins. Any questions? Probably just leave this as the cold open. Yes. Oh, so that's, many yeah. Questions. We we absolutely are. So we talked before the show and a little bit of rare pre-show planning that Jason was going to talk about the NCAA men's soccer tournament uh, because Maryland is in it and Virginia Tech is in it, and we were going to make a joke about Stephen Streff driving to Blacksburg. Uh, and having already left, and he was going to miss kickoff, even though the game's not for days. Um, there, I just little peek behind the the well oiled machine that is filibuster. Yes, and then we blew it, even though we talked about it. Yes. Um, so the moral of the story is we should never plan. It's true. It's true. Although Jason, the whole point was to give you a chance to lord it over Ben and anyone else because Maryland is the top overall seed. I mean, lording it over Ben just seems unfair, uh, given that William and Mary just isn't really a soccer school. Um, nah. I can I also lord a, it over Purdue, but you don't even have a men's soccer program. It's true. We don't. I do have a William and Mary soccer scarf, though. I mean, that's okay. something. Yeah. yeah, it's a thing. It exists. Um, yeah, it's funny that yeah. Purdue doesn't have a men's program uh, at all because IU is, you know, among the most successful programs in the country right. and I usually mean, the two, the two go hand being... in hand hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united podcast i'm adam taylor joined as always by jason anderson and ben bromley we are all from black and where we write about dc united the u.s national team and other uh various sad things it's been a, a sad fall for us here um whether it's dc united Falling from the playoffs, the U.S. men's national team losing at home to Mexico in the hexagonal because that is apparently a thing that happens now. Um, the and the Spirit losing in the NWSL final. Um, yeah, there's there's probably L- more sad. Literal seconds away from a championship. Yes, literally seconds away. Um, I guess Maryland isn't sad yet. Oh, they'll become sad. Just wait, Jason. Uh I have my doubts. Um, this is the most loaded team they've ever had, and that's saying something. Uh, this is the best college soccer program since around 2000, and they have not been loaded like this before. This um, is 2016. They'll become sad. It's Jason, possible. I feel like you are you are just setting it up for for sadness now. It's possible. Um, They're going to lose to uh, Virginia Tech in the final. <laughs> that would take some doing. Um, for Virginia Tech to get that far. Well, well see, now we they, have a thing to root for. You, you well, guys can root not for root all for. you want. Uh, you can root for East Tennessee State and, and Charlotte to, to, or I guess you'd be rooting for Virginia Tech against those schools. Somehow, somehow Purdue's going to come in and Actually, win this. 
Just Adam, you, you might you might find yourself rooting for Virginia Tech if they get that far because they if they got that far they would play Indiana if the other side of their group held. So you'd be rooting against Indiana, which is natural for you, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually kind of weird. Both my parents went to IU, and I grew up an IU fan. And uh, one of the first soccer games I ever went to was IU versus Evansville in my hometown. But okay, um, now so I kind of want to sing the IU fight song. I have weird mixed feelings about it. IU. It's it's not straightforward and it's not clean. Not unlike this show. Uh, we do have a good show for you tonight. None, despite all the sadness, we, we are talking DC United. We are talking the the hexagonal, and we are talking MLS Cup playoffs. Except that we're not because there are no MLS Cup playoffs this week, and that's what we're going to talk about. Before we get to any of that, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking, buddy? Uh, so for some reason, I only have one liquor in my house right now because my dear, lovely wife drank the last of my bourbon. She earned so, it. can anyone guess what what drink of sadness or what liquor of sadness I used to make my drink tonight? Are you drinking straight vodka? I'm not drinking straight vodka. <laughs> because luckily I had some orange juice. So I'm drinking a screwdriver because I had vodka and orange juice. And that's about all I had. <laughs> no food in the house. Just vodka and orange juice. And Ben is making I mean, we have food. I said liquor. She drank my last liquor. I think it's funnier if you just don't have any food. You're just living in this self-imposed squalor. I mean, that's what I would have done previously, but now I have a child to take care of. Can you so start? Can so you I start can only a, have so much squalor. Can you start a club down there uh, in in the Richmond suburbs called the Mechanicsville Squalor? I think that would be a fun a fun team name. Yeah. I'll I'll start coaching some like U8s at some point and I'll definitely call them the mechanics Phil Squalor. And the, their parents are going to love that. I am not even joking. Their parents are going to love it. Ben, what do you or Jason, whichever one you are, what are you drinking? Still a screwdriver. <laughs> uh I I uh actually went out and purchased beers in advance rather than finding myself uh, totally unprepared. Normally, normally I'm the one in Ben's shoes, like looking at what I have and be like, what am I going to do? Um, in this case though, I went out and bought beers. Uh, well, not just for the show. I, I didn't buy 12 beers just for this. Um, this isn't a, uh, some sort of case race, uh, and podcast at the same time. Although that would um, be some good off season content. That would be bad radio. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. We, uh, some friends and I, friends of mine and I did a case race once and to show how strong we were, uh, we showed up and our, our case was Molson triple X, which is like a oh, 7% alcohol, uh, beer. Um, I mean, it's a trash beer, just like the others. It just has more alcohol in it. Um, and but so we wanted to race. intimidate our foes by, uh, doing a case race <laughs> featuring Molson triple X. Uh, I don't really? even remember who won the case race. I know we finished. I just don't know if we won or not. That's the thing about um, a case race. No matter who wins, yes. everybody our, loses. Our competitive fires were uh, overwhelmed by just being stupid drunk and forgetting what was going on. Um, <laughs> but in any case, I have a much better beer than Molson Triple X tonight. I have uh, 21st Amendment's Back in Black. It's their black IPA, um, which is a pretty excellent example of that sort of hybrid form. Um, it's it's not too hoppy. It's got a, a nice, um, nice malty note. Rather than it, it's more black than IPA. I guess is the best way to put it. Cool. I am drinking a classic DC 
local beer, uh, DC Brows the Corruption, um, which my in-laws were in town this weekend, and they brought to my house and left some. And so that is what I'm drinking because it was there and it was easy. I have other things in my house. Uh, I'm not living in self-imposed squalor, but uh, I chose to drink this anyway. Squalor is appropriate. That's not a squalor <laughs> beer, though. That's a good beer. Yeah, it's a good beer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not drinking a screwdriver because that's all there was to eat in the house. There was some uncooked couscous. <laughs> Ben, are you going back to can college? We call the show. Are you, are can we can we call the show a where you're just couscous this back, week, please? Back to college this week, maybe we'll see. <laughs> uh, over at Black and Red United, our off-season content train keeps on running. Choo choo. Uh, beep beep. That's how trains go, right? You have a sure. lot to learn <laughs> if you're going to be a parent, Ben. Unless you just want, you know, to teach the kid wrong which is which is completely respect if that's what you're doing consistently awesome uh davy arno is leaving dc united or has left dc united he's going home to texas uh where he will join the houston dynamo as an assistant coach he spent one year with dc united as a coach after uh retiring due to concussions at the end of last year uh best of luck to davy he you know, did well enough as a as a coach. Got some props from Jason Levian on his way out the door. The Ben Olson coaching tree is like some sort of kudzu at this point. It just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. No other head coaches to come out of uh, that tree. Although Josh Wolf's name has been bandied about from time to time, especially with uh, Atlanta. Yeah, though so Atlanta went uh, big time when they had to hire uh, their coach. Yeah, if he doesn't, yeah. they got a recent Barcelona coach. Yeah. It's yeah, uh, these are strange times in MLS. Yeah. Also, and although if Greg Berhalter continues to futz about, maybe a more local head coaching job is in his future. Yeah, and if uh, if Martino doesn't work out for Atlanta, I mean it's it's entirely possible Josh Wolf could find himself as an interim head coach um, sometime in the next twelve months. Not that I'm rooting for that or anything. I, don't, I actually don't know if I am or not. Um, if if Atlanta comes out and plays fun soccer and isn't terrible uh, as an organization, then uh, be, you know. be, tra- be trash, Atlanta. <laughs> also, it would be fun if they were trash. Um, another exit from RFK Stadium, Alvaro Sabarillo, also going home, uh, announced his departure via Twitter this week. Um, he is presumably back going back to his, uh, former club, Saprisa down in Costa Rica. Um, he was good as a substitute for DC United, not so great as a starter. A lot of the time, um, I think we got from him about what we could have reasonably expected. I know a lot of fans were very disappointed with him in his performance. I was not among them. I thought he, he basically played the level I expected of him over his two seasons. He, he said nice things on his way out the door about DC United and the organization, the fan base. Um, so, so good luck down in Costa Rica and may you, I assume Saprice is in the, the CONCACAF champions league next year. And if so, I hope Saborio destroys some other MLS teams. Yeah. We, we shouldn't forget that he had a pretty ridiculous, uh, statistical year given the amount of minutes he played yeah um uh over his time with dc he basically played less than a full season and yet managed 10 goals um 
in mostly substitute appearances. Um, it is strange when a player can't really do well as a starter. Uh, and the issue with Sabo was that he couldn't really get himself involved early in games. It wasn't that he was too tired. It was that he just struggled to be a part of the game a lot of times. Um, there were games where he didn't struggle with that. I think um, the first time we saw the four one four one this year was with him up front against the Revs, and he mm-hmm. looked really good. Um, so, that you know, it's there. It just doesn't show up as much. The, the good stuff is just not there as often. Um, yeah. I wonder if it wasn't that he... I wonder if he was pacing himself when he was a starter. He he wasn't going all out. He wasn't making the runs quite as hard. He wasn't getting as physical because he knew he had to last a lot longer. Whereas if he comes in for half an hour, he can just throw himself into it fully. I don't know if that's right, if that's true or not, but that that's my speculation is one possible explanation. It might just be that he's better at coming in when a game's already pretty well developed and Maybe. watching it and taking notes on where because he's a smart player he always has been Mm. and he if he's watching the game from the bench he knows where the soft spots are and he knows where to find them or is it if he's in the game he's not necessarily going to find them as easily and and united now has some work to do um as far as finding somebody to uh be the backup for mullins um although i was excited to hear mullins talking on a dc united off-season video about how he wants to get uh, stronger and hit the weight room uh, this off-season. But yes, that doesn't uh, obviate the need for a yeah, solid backup um, for him. And and that'll be an interesting pursuit because we know, you know, Kamara is there, but we don't really, we still don't really know what he's actually capable of because we've only seen a few minutes uh, of his mm-hmm. time here. Um Kennedy, Igbon, and Ike, unless he just suddenly decides to take like a $700,000 pay cut, yeah, he's gonna gone. Be gone. Um, and well, I mean, the thing is, in in his shoes, why would he accept that as well? Because he can probably still go back to Scandinavia and, based on his time there, get a better deal. Right. Um, There's nobody in MLS who's gonna pay him exactly even even half of what he's making right. this year. But there's probably somebody in Norway or Sweden, maybe even Denmark, who who will. And, and so you know, Lamar Nagel could spend some time up there, but we know it's not his natural position. Um, so that'll be, that's a, a kind of a clear cut. you know, last week we talked about what the top of the list is as far as United's, uh, off season acquisitions, but I, at least that one is now pretty clear cut. They have to go find a target man backup because Kamara's not really a target player. Nagel's not really a target player. Mm-hmm. Um, they need somebody who can fill in for Mullins as a starter and, and, play the same way you know someone that's almost as good is what you're looking for instead of having to change the way you play or change the way you attack at least uh if mullins is suspended or if he has to miss a game with an injury or what have you yeah someone who can come in and not miss a beat basically on what had been a pretty high-flying attack at the end of the season um playoff game notwithstanding and even then they scored a couple of goals late on so um Looking elsewhere, reports from Steve Goff and the general Twitterverse have said that DC United is close to finalizing the purchase of Luciano Acosta. Um, Steve Goff, I consider a credible source. Some other spots on Twitter, less so. Um, <laughs> so that that was job one. 
this offseason, whatever right. other positions of need there are, getting Luciano Costa into the fold for next year and the foreseeable future was the number one offseason priority for DC United, no matter who you asked. There are people who think that the entire front office needs to go, including Ben Olsen and Chad Ashton and everyone associated with the team should be turned over. They still want they they still agree Luciano Costa is the the single most important thing to do this offseason. And it looks like they're probably going to get it done. Steve Goff in his tweet said that DC United has held the option all along. And so they, they have some amount of right, time it, to it, exercise. It has it. to be in the, it has to be in the, uh, MLS requires that as part of loan well, deals. Right. An option to, say, to buy at the end of the loan. That, right. that was a requirement, but I saw something this year where one, now I can't remember what player it was, but somebody was here on loan and the club, the MLS club did not ever have the option to buy. Um, so hmm. that might not be as much of a rule as as we much thought. It's never been like written Although, down. It's never been a written rule where you can go online and go to the, uh, the well, MLS site and track that down. Um, right. It's sort of an unwritten commandment from... MLS headquarters, but maybe it's not actually a commandment. It's like, a, well, we'd really rather you did. Right. It, it, for a time it was, we will not approve a contract yeah. unless it includes this. That's in our own process is not, not a published rule. Right. Just and, know. But, and, and knowing Dave Casper and Ben Olson, I'm sure anyone that they got on a loan, they would for themselves require, require such a Yeah. And, and an it, it seems like Boko was keen to loan him out to somebody again. And DC United obviously wanted to bring him in. And it sounded like even from the beginning of the year, he really wanted to come to the the US where, you know, there there are less public safety concerns than in right. for a for a soccer star in Buenos Aires. Oh uh, although I just looked this up. The player that was not it didn't have the buy option, uh this was at least reported in the mm-hmm. press in New York was Omer Damari. Um that the Red Bulls did not have a built-in purchase option, though that's kind of a cloudy situation because he's already a Red Bull soccer organization player. Right. Um, so I don't know if they necessarily felt the need to build that in. So, you know, that's an even – that just muddies it more. Um, yeah. So when so when DC United gets John Joe Shelfie on loan, they won't have to have a uh, oh, buy option no. on him? Please, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Just – I mean, they're they're looking for uh, for midfielders to support Lucha. <laughs> I do. No. Although, if going back to what I was originally going to say, if we want to read way too much into a single tweet, it is interesting that Goff said held the option because we know we we well we don't know we speculate that DC United was going to try and negotiate under the option. Mm-hmm. So if they end up paying full option price, that's. Something I don't know, yeah. what, but it's something. I mean, yeah, a lot it's of a that signal will that they can spend more money than yeah. than uh, yeah. we thought, um, or or that, they're in the, that they are willing to spend if it makes sense to, right. and they know it makes and sense it, to. They're incredibly risk averse yeah. a lot of the time, but when and it's in this obvious, case, you're not going to find uh, a 22 year old for the the rumor. The rumor from Argentina was that the the, the clause was 1.3 million to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to find a 22 year old that's excited to be in MLS for less than that. That's as good as a cost, or even close to as good. And even if they were able to negotiate down, they were only going to save two, three hundred thousand dollars. And I mean, right. I know it's not um, it's so, spending other people's money, but 
that's not a lot of money, even in MLS, for a talent right. like Acosta. Right. And, and I, I mean, I, I guess if, if we want to talk about negotiating skill, if all these reports are true and we're, we're speculating on that, um, but getting that clause in at 1.3 is pretty good negotiating uh, early, yeah. in the early days of this yes. whole thing um, because it turned out Acosta is probably worth more than that. So yeah, quite a bit. Uh, yeah. If they're actually going to pull the trigger on that purchase, it says to the fans that the team will, when the the occasion is abundantly clear, they will spend more than we thought. And also it does say that, you know, they do have some savvy once they come to sit down at the, I guess it's, I imagine that these things are negotiated at like a hotel conference room. Um, yeah. With some sort of long table, but it, there's not enough people in the room to necessitate a long table because I've seen a lot of movies and TV shows and that's always where these things take place. So in your head, are they sitting at either end, or are they sitting no, both across at, the narrow both part? Both at one end and, and across from each other. But there's With like, the player at the far end? Please tell me the player is at the far probably, end, just sitting yeah. there by himself. If, well, if, Possibly with his family. Even, right. Like, it might, he might not have traveled back down. Uh, um, but yeah. in any case, yeah, it, we're talking about like a 12-seat table in which four people are crowded at one end. And no one's at the other end, and well, it's not I was even thinking, clear. I, I was thinking like a twenty or thirty seat table with like yeah, well, you take what you can get. people. Yeah, you take what you can get. Um, okay. It's like the B banquet hall conference right. room, not not the A or, conference room you know, in the hotel. Uh, it it would be more fun if it were like Dave Casper went to Argentina, and then uh, whoever he had to talk to from Boca Juniors was like, "Let's go get steaks," and they negotiated this over gigantic Argentine steaks. Um, that would be I more fun, but I haven't seen a TV show that has this specific uh, American-Argentine uh, business deal going on. And then, then Kurt, Mo- Kurt, Mo- Kurt Morsink runs in. It's like, why did I leave this job? <laughs> he just, he's just stalking Dave Casper in Argentina. <laughs> Anytime he comes down, he just follows him around. Yeah. Um, let's talk cake or death. Uh, every year in the offseason, we do a, a season review player by player through the entire DC United roster. We've covered uh, the A's and most of the B's so far over the first two weeks of it. We are now up to Julian Buescher, who we saved from last week, and we're going to talk about him right now. Uh, He was a rookie this year, Generation Adidas. He will remain in that status, which is good for DC United. It means they don't have to protect him in the upcoming expansion draft. It means uh, that he is not counted toward the salary cap. It's it's generally uh, a, a good thing for DC United. I don't think he'll he'll keep the status after next year, though, because I think he's in line for some increased playing time after a year in which he improved over the course of the year, which is really big. And he ended the season with the best per 90-minute numbers on assists and key passes, which uh, Rick the Blasian figured out for us uh, in his post, which you should all go read right now. Jason, cake or death for, for Mr. Buescher, for Herr Buescher? Uh, I feel like this one's very easy. This one's a clear goat. I mean, for one thing, we're talking about a free player, um, which automatically makes this like a, a no-brainer. But um, on top of that, um, a player that's really capable of making a difference uh, as an attacking player. Um, Olsen's still going to use him mostly as Lucho's backup. But we've seen that he can step in alongside Lucho, um, especially if DC is chasing the game. Um, so I think he'll see more time next year. We saw a long stretch where he didn't play at all. 
Um, I don't think that's going to happen. We're not going to see seven, eight games where he just isn't playing if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think he's also the. And this is not. This isn't really going to impress that many people. But I also think he's one of the best Instagram follows on the team. Um, I think his his Instagram thing today was he's somewhere in Canada uh, hiking, um, and he was just like finding these like great views of some lake and a waterfall, and then proving that he got back to the hotel and he wasn't stranded in the Canadian wilderness. So that part's good, too. Um, that is please, good. Please don't get eaten by a bear, Julian. I, I yes. appreciate no, the, don't the, do player, the player off-season trip that involves a like an end point where, like, no, I'm back, it's fine. Um, it's not like, look at me on this cliffside, here's a lake, and then that's the only thing you get to hear about from there. That that yeah. would be and a little And then they just alarming. don't post again until the preseason. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, Taylor Kemp's Hawaii adventure this offseason is going to necessitate proof-of-life uh, photographs at the end. Well, you say that now. <laughs> Taylor, if you're listening, just take a photo with uh, the news, the day's newspaper. Uh, <laughs> Shooter, don't, know that you're don't still scare out us. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't. I know you're going to watch some Netflix. Do not reenact Into the Inferno. Do not reenact the volcano documentary that just went up there. Um from Werner Herzog. It's a great film. You should watch it. You should not emulate going into the volcano the way they do. Uh, next up on, Oh, obviously he gets cake by the way, be sure. Um, he's, he's a good player. I think we will see him alongside Acosta next year from time to time, as well as subbing in for him. Um, easy, easy call next up. Nick de Leon. I, I don't get to have an opinion. You talked and you didn't say anything. So I moved on. Say your thing. Go. Do you feel better? No. No, me neither. Nick DeLeon is next. Um, he is the utility man for Ben Olsen. He's, he's been one of Ben Olsen's um, almost in Sharpie kind of starters. Uh, for the last few years, he was on the, the right side of midfield until this season when he moved inside at the beginning of the year as part of a... Uh, a change to try to give DC United more time on the ball and a little bit calmer presence in the center of the park. It worked and it didn't. Nick DeLeon had the best passing percentage on the team this year, and it wasn't particularly close. Um, he was really good at not turning the ball over in the center of the park. He just wasn't that great at driving it forward. And during the time he was in the middle, for most of it, we were playing a four four two where he was the more attack-minded central midfielder and he would generally pass sideways, which is fine if there's an attack, an actual, you know, attacking mid in there. And eventually there was. Um, when the switch to the 4141 came, he was alongside Acosta and basically let Acosta play that free role. And he would, he's a smart enough player that even though he wasn't fully comfortable in the center of the park, he would adjust himself to Acosta and whatever he was doing um, and cover for him and make sure space was covered and did, I I, I think an underrated job in that, that position. He really won people over though, by exceeding expectations when he became an emergency, right? Fullback. Uh, He's, he, he didn't set the world on fire by any means, but he did a better than expected job. And I think won some people over, um, almost to a hyperbolic extent there. Ben, are you giving Nick DeLeon cake or death after this year? Very much cake. I mean, he is a classic Ben Olsen player. Even if, uh, no, I'm not even going to say it. Never mind. Uh, he <laughs> can 
if he can do a job in central midfield, he can at least emergency sub in as a right back. And maybe with some more time, he could eventually become the right back of the future. Uh, kind of like how Andy Nahar was transitioned. Well, kind of like, but also not like at all uh, to be very wishy-washy. Um, but yeah, he's an ultimate Ben Olsen player. He's not on an insane amount of money and he can play three or four different positions. So he's back next year, obviously. I think he's going to start somewhere at the beginning of next season. I think he'll find himself starting. And if he doesn't, that means DC United is a better team. And while I like Nicky a lot, if he's pushed to the bench, that means DC United is doing something really good, and they found some really good players in the offseason. So, uh, yeah. Cake, but even cake, even if I don't expect him to start uh, at the beginning of next season. Yeah, I think we're he's obviously sticking around. He's under contract, and no matter where he, what's happened to this team over the last you know five years that he's been on it, he's found his way into the starting lineup every time. Um, not every game, but anytime he does get benched after a period of poor for poor performance or a series of acquisitions, he finds his way onto the field somehow. Um, I don't know if he had anything to do with Sean Franklin's injury. I assume not, but he, he finds a way onto the field one way or another. Jason, what are you giving Nick DeLeon? Uh, this one's also pretty easy. Uh, it's, it's gotta be go. Um, you've got a player that can cover you in this formation at, I'm thinking four different positions in the formation you could play him and it wouldn't be people might grouse a little bit if you were playing on the wing as a starter because you know we know that the goals and assists he produced as a rookie aren't probably aren't coming back. That's um, what I chose not to talk about. But uh the fact is that he's still going to be a you're not going to lose that game because he's playing on the wing. Um he can play in the middle. Um, I assume he will still be with Franklin healthy at the start of preseason. He'll be competition for Jeffrey and Vincent uh, in in the eight role. Um, he can play on either wing. And they definitely also need he, to upgrade from. I love Jared Jeffrey, but they definitely need to upgrade over him. Well, we get to that later. as an aside. Yeah, um, that'll be probably next week. But it, you know, he's also now the backup right back um, as of now. So. Uh, in MLS, you can't get by without a few utility players, and he is the the most utility player on the team. Um, so yeah, th- this one's pretty easy, and uh, you know, there's a lot of not necessarily thrilling aspects to De Leon's play, uh, especially in the midfield where he com- as, as Adam talked about, he completes a ton of passes, but they aren't ambitious passes. Um, and there's a tendency to criticize uh players for that, but there's a place for that within this team, especially on a team where Acosta is going to take huge risks in the attack. Um, having someone nearby that's going to try and keep the ball, uh, that helps quite a bit. Um, that allows him more chances to be who Lucho is. So, um, yeah, this one's not, this one's not difficult. Yeah. And, there um, were, there were also a, Nick Dalian pretty famously had no assists and only one goal this year, but um, there were a, couple of plays where he he had the pass before the pass that if it was a Sasha question a Jovinko an Iguain making that pass it would have been credited as an assist I've seen those passes 
credited for those guys. So I, I do want to come to Nikki's defense a little bit on the statistical side there, um, while also bringing up the fact that it was not a statistically great year for him this year. And also a little different from Goat or Fox, but just we know that if he's left unprotected in the expansion draft, he's going to get taken by one of You'd those You'd be crazy teams. not to. If you're Atlanta yeah. or Minnesota, you'd be insane yeah. not to. Uh, he's got to be protected. But we'll get to that more uh, closer to, to that time, I think. Next on the list Which is... Which isn't that far away. It's true, but it's, it's not only, this week. It's only in early December. Why are you whispering? Whispers. Next up is Andrew Dykstra, uh, who ended the year as the third string goalkeeper um, for DC United. He He got hurt early in the year, lost his second... Uh, his spot as the first backup and uh, never really regained it. Um, he's he's a fantastic home brewer. We understand. Uh, I I have not been able to to try his wares, which is weird considering our podcast. That would have been a great tie in opportunity for DC United, and they never never took advantage of it. So maybe someday we'll get to try his beer. Uh, in the meantime, though, Jason Cake or Death for Andrew Dykstra. Uh, I mean, I don't see a path for him to get on the field on a team with, uh, with Travis Wara, um, who outplayed him and then is younger and less expensive. Um, it's not a knock on Dykstra who I think is certainly qualified to be an MLS backup. It's just United found themselves in a bizarre situation where they were trying to replace, uh, Hamid and then for, for a while. And then Dykstra also for a while. And they ended up with many, many goalkeepers um, and, and, and unlike the Philadelphia union, they ended up with a bunch of starting quality goalkeepers. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and the one that we don't know for sure is still a U.S. under 23 international. Um, we'll talk so about him very, later in the show. It was a very strange sequence of events that has left, you know, there's a, there's one too many goalkeepers right now mm-hmm. and Dykstra makes the second highest amount of money out of that group and he's not the starter. So, and he's by you, far the oldest. Right. So you, you have to say, and he's coming off of a back injury as well. Mm-hmm. Um, though he did play, uh, for, for the kickers. Um, you know, I'm reluctant to say it because he's always seemed to be happy to be with the team. And, mm-hmm. uh, he is the only brewer on the team, which, uh, I feel like is worth something. But, um, in this case, there's no path for him to ever play. So you, you kind of have to say Fox if you're, if you're building a roster. I, I really want to see him team up with the guys from Black Squirrel or Right Proper or some other DC, you know, may, maybe Blue Jacket or something. I think Blue Jacket might be connected to Black Squirrel, actually. Or anyway, uh, there's so many good beer bars and, and microbreweries in DC. I want to see him team up with them and eventually run the uh, Lot 8 bar that... I, I am hopeful will be on Buzzard Point, and it can be a microbrewery. It can be a brew pub um, that's soccer themed, and Andrew Dykstra can be the brewmaster, and he can basically be Sam from Cheers because he's an ex-player uh, behind the bar. Um, he won't be a womanizer like Sam because he's married with children, but otherwise, it'll still be great. And you know, there can be an old coach behind the bar too. Maybe Tommy Sohn can be the stupid coach behind the bar. I don't know. I'm, I'm drawing and there's parallels already for that. Was One that of, guy stupid? I don't remember that. Coach? On Cheers? Coach was famous. He was... He, Coach was really dumb. <laughs> he was wonderfully dumb. Right. I was just going to say I'm, there's already a path for... I'm so confused now. 
for uh, former athletes who are also home brewers to start their own breweries because uh, the Richmond area's center of the universe brewery was started by a former Orioles pitcher. And he's not just, he's not the money guy. He's the brewer. Nice. I mean, he's also the money guy, but yeah. So, right, Jason, did you say cake or, or, or Ben? I keep, why am I mixing you guys up? This is not okay. We look, we neither look nor sound anything alike. It's true. And yet here we are. Uh, ben, cake or death for Andrew Dykstra. Did you say? I didn't say, but Fox for all the reasons stated. Uh, and especially since there's no chance that like if Bill Hamid leaves tomorrow, there's no chance that Andrew Dykstra is starting in Bill's right. place. Yeah, he's a great so, guy in every interaction I've ever had with him at season ticket holder events. He's He's been a really cool guy to talk to. He's a, a solid player. If he wants to keep playing, it'll probably need to be somewhere else. Uh, and if he doesn't, I hope he sticks around with the team, particularly as a brewer. Next on the list, Sean Franklin, right fullback, injured at the end of the year. Um, kind of Mr. Reliable for DC at the right fullback position. Ben, cake or death for the former rookie of the year? Despite what everyone, despite everyone's love and my love too for what Nick DeLeon did down the stretch at right back, you've got to give a uh, goat to Sean Franklin. I, at least at the beginning of next season, I want to see him starting. He is comically underrated as a fullback, both defensively and offensively. And yeah, if he's still physically up to it after he comes back from this injury, which everything points to that he will be. I want to see him starting. And if somehow Nick DeLeon beats him out, that means Nick DeLeon has taken like two or three giant steps up and that's great for DC United, but I don't think it's going to happen. And especially with unknowns around the rest of the, uh, the back line, there's a smallish chance, but a chance nonetheless that uh, Sean Franklin starts the season as DC United's captain. So yeah, definite, definite goat for Sean Franklin. I agree, and, and, I, and I don't, and I don't even care about the money. He doesn't make that much. He's, and it's definitely a position of need. So yeah, yeah. United has no depth at fullback right now with Chris Corb still injured. We have no idea if he's going to play next year or ever. Uh, hopefully he does, but we have no idea whether he will be able to contribute next year. So Taylor Kemp has no real, like the only real fullback, natural fullback backup right now is Luke Mishu, who. Uh, we haven't gotten to him yet in the review, but he really didn't show himself to be MLS starting quality this year. Uh, yeah. So you got to have, even if Nick DeLeon, you think he should be the starter, you got to keep Franklin around because he's starting quality depth, which you need in MLS. Jason, what do you say? Uh, yeah, I I kind of had to defend him in the um, the comments on our season review post, um, just pointing out that. What Franklin does is not really spectacular. Um, he's not the modern ideal of a relentlessly overlapping fullback. He's not Harrison Offal, um, where he's a constant attacking threat. Um, but he does actually provide, um, more often than not, he gets involved in the attack. He creates a shot for somebody else uh, that's a, based on stats. That's not just based on the eyeball test. Um his chemistry with Lloyd Sam on the right side is very strong. Um, those two figured it out right away, which is a sign that we, we know how smart of a player Sam is. So um, in general, you don't see a smart player f- 
have instant chemistry with a player who isn't smart. Um, and those two immediately had something going on. Um, I, I think this one's very, very straightforward. Um, if Franklin's injury heals, which it probably will, um, it's probably just some tendonitis that just needs rest, which he's gotten. Um, you know, at that point, he's the starter. Um, he's the starting right back, and it's not even really that much of a contest for me um, at this point because compared to DeLeon, DeLeon's not getting into defensive positions as quickly as, as Franklin, which is a big thing uh, in transition, especially when you're a fullback. Um, that's how you avoid being isolated, uh, which is something if DeLeon's going to play there more, he's going to have to work on that quite a bit. Um, because teams will start to pick on that. With Franklin, we don't have to worry about that so much. And he didn't really appear to be losing uh, a step physically this year. I didn't see anything indicating to me that he was slowing down. Um, obviously, we know from past history that once you get to be above 32, it could happen at any time. Um, we know mm-hmm. from Dwayne Rosario that it could happen like suddenly and inexplicably with no like forewarning. Um yeah, even if you take religiously, ridiculously good care of yourself, right. like it, D-Row did. Sometimes it just doesn't make oh, any D-Row. sense. But on, on the other hand, sometimes it just never happens, and there are guys that just keep going for a long time, and you don't see any slowdown. Um, so as of now, we don't have Zlatan any evidence. Zlatan slows down you. Is Zlatan's not Russian, dude. That joke doesn't even... Zlatan jokes you. <laughs> I feel like right, Ben we'll just, just sent us to Soviet Russia. Yeah. Uh, my answer is GOAT. Okay. Uh, moving on to possibly the easiest uh, choice, although there are, are uh, a surprising number of... Trolls. Of, I mean, a double-digit number Wrong. of no votes on, on this. Uh, Wrong. Bill Hamid won goalkeeper of the year in MLS a couple years ago. He is, to my mind, still the best keeper in MLS today. He missed a lot of time to injury this year, uh, especially early on. Came on, um, some people, he, he made some mistakes, which uh, have been rare for him the last couple of years. And so people assumed he had plateaued or something. But I think it just proved that he is not, in fact, uh, inhuman. He is he is mortal, like, like all of us. Uh, Bill Hamid obviously cake for me. He's going to be trading with Swansea city for a couple weeks. It's been reported. Um, who knows with Bob Bradley managing that team and Jason Levy and owning it. Uh, who, who knows if they will pursue a transfer. If they do, then, you know, United has some backups, but that's, that's potentially a big deal. But I want Bill Hamid back. He bleeds black and red. He grew up rooting for this team, uh, going with the supporters groups in the stands. He, he he gets this team um, in the fans, and he he loves it. And I want him here for as long as possible. Ben, the I mean yes, the the Annandale native always gets goat for me. I don't even buy into the oh we should uh, vote no to let him go and fly free. Now he, he'll fly free if he wants to. Uh, that's obviously his choice, and he'll do it whenever he wants. But. I will greedily take as many seasons of Bill Hamid uh, as I can get. And yeah, please, Bill, never leave. Uh, You're not the seventh best goalkeeper in my heart. You're only the seventh (laughs) best goalkeeper on the USMNT because Jorgen is an idiot. Jason. Uh, Yeah, this one's maybe as easy as they come. Um, Hamid is a rare talent. There is nothing easier. 
Um, he's the kind of a, a rare talent who came from the homegrown uh, program, who is from the area. Who, I mean, he if he wanted to leave, he, he would have not signed the uh, long extension, um, which means that if he like if he said tomorrow I want to leave. Now it's going to require a transfer fee. It's going to be that much more difficult for him to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't see the arguments that he should be uh, let, let. I don't even understand the like logic behind letting him go because this is you know if you just let players go because you like them a lot, then you end up with no players uh, <laughs> if you're ever any good. Um, no, you keep Bill Hamid and and look if he comes around and says like it's time for me to go to Europe, then. You know, you negotiate in good faith to find a transfer fee that that allows DC United to uh, replace him, if not directly, then indirectly. Um, but until that point, why would you push for him to go? Uh, yeah. There's no, there's no argument for it. So savor yeah. every second. Yeah, this is goat, and come on. Next up is a player we've seen uh, very little from, uh, no minutes for DC United. In fact, Charlie Horton joined the team um, technically from the New England Revolution, who he never actually played for, uh, even getting in the 18 or going on loan or anything. Um, He kind of was passed through their their jurisdiction on his way to DC. He, yeah, exactly. He was at Leeds United, had a family situation. He's from Ohio, uh, came back to the States and wanted to play here. And now he spent the year mostly in Richmond, spent some time as uh, Wara's backup for DC United, uh, you know, in the 18, but never got on the field for United. Um, we don't have a lot to go on other than, you know, he's a an under 23 international for the United States. So very quickly, Jason, cake or death? Uh, I say goat. I mean, he's still the th- you know if Dykstra leaves, he's the third string goalkeeper. So you need three, and he's a U.S. under twenty three. That's not a bad third string goalkeeper, right? Yeah, not at all. Um, <laughs> it, it, he seems like a, an ideal candidate to to send to Richmond some more, and or, or if he can't get minutes there because they have you know a, some kind of world beater, then send him somewhere else on loan and let him get some playing time um, because he seems like the type that could grow into an MLS quality player. Ben, what do you say? Uh, I say life, not river. Um, yeah, he's cheap. He's young. He's a youth and national teamer. Why not keep him? He's a third string goalkeeper. Doesn't really matter. All right. Uh, a great big, yeah, give him cake. Shrug uh, from here at filibuster for Charlie Horton. Uh, Hopefully uh, next year it'll I, I, be I, I more I said about. life. Excuse me. Anyway, stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, and we will be right back. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now to talk about the MLS Cup playoffs because they are back. I'm hearing something in my ear now. No, they are not back. In fact, the MLS Cup playoffs are are off until next Tuesday, and we will presumably record before next Tuesday. Um, so we're going to wait to talk about them. But instead, we are going to talk about why the hell there are no playoffs this week. Um I think it makes no sense for there to be no games this weekend because, um, blame Canada. Well, weekends are when people are, well, I mean, Seattle's not playing this weekend either. Seattle had a conflict too. Um, we have the conference finals coming up, uh, the semifinals of MLS cup and they're being played on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And God knows, I think there might be one weekend game in there, but it's several days after the other one. So, you know, good job getting scheduling momentum, MLS. Jason, any speculation? Um, do you think that there's a demon sacrifice on Tuesday that might make make sense for this? I I feel like this is just uh, our lack of understanding of the metric system is <laughs> is why this game has to be played on a different day. Uh, we don't know in why. Canada this Tuesday is actually a Sunday. Yeah, this is a. Uh, it's a lot like how uh, the Canadian Football League has a rouge, and it's a point scoring thing that is. Uh, possibly understood but it's still a mystery um even if you think you understand it, you don't really know what's going on did you say um, a ruse a rouge uh like the like the makeup rouge like french for red yes uh it's a way you can score points in the canadian football league they just have um, colors for points is there yes, is there colors blue and or blanc Ceru- or noir Ceru- as well no Ceru- I, no i think this is the only color point and i don't think you have no, to there's like, a cerulean color point you don't have to display the color to score the point. It's an action named for a color that results in football points. Um, and again, this all it has its roots in the metric system, clearly. Um, Obviously. And so that is why MLS cannot play a playoff game. Also, um, Canada has not hosted playoff games this late in the year. They're probably not sure what to do. Um, it's probably just like, well, yeah. wait, what, what? we also, still have to keep having also, games? Also... The Toronto Argonauts are awful, and MLS should have realized that they are awful and not allowed them to dictate the. Uh, well, this isn't that's availability not MLS's of fault. the. Well, it's yeah. MLS's fault for kowtowing to the Argos. Well, it's the the same ownership group is the the problem there. Yeah, it's and they own the facility and the teams. So yeah, well, yeah Seattle. That, uh, like I said, would, Seattle's not playing. Until Tuesday, either because the Seahawks are hosting a game, I think, on Sunday. But MLS uh, wouldn't let Swansea City curate the MLS Cup playoffs. 
It depends. Does Swansea City's ownership decide uh, to have a, a third sports team playing in the same facility as one of their other teams? They could have uh, an ultimate frisbee team, and then and then the also stadium. that ultimate frisbee team gets uh, scheduling priority over DC United at Buzzard Point. Probably. Let's not take any risks, you guys. Um, yeah, and playoff scheduling shenanigans and shrug emojis aside uh let's let's talk god i don't want to i really don't there we we almost never want to talk about the u.s men's national team on this program at this point in time but tonight i especially don't like i'm forcing myself to do it i don't know what team you're talking about yeah um they are dead to you much like dosa cero is dead to everyone. Mexico beat the U S men's national team two to one in Columbus on Friday to open the final round of CONCACAF world cup qualifying the U S now on uh, no points after one game, all three road teams won in the hex to, to open things up, which is weird and interesting in a, in Elias sports bureau kind of way. Um, the big story out of Columbus, I think is Jurgen Klinsmann running out a three, five, two that we had never seen before. Um, they did play 45 minutes almost two years ago in a three, five, two after using a January camp to work on it. Um, of course that particular iteration involved Jermaine Jones in the center of the three man back line. And it hasn't been seen ever again until randomly a three, five, two that Jurgen Klinsmann refused to call a three, five, two. Uh, was run out against Mexico. Three four two three four one two is I think what he. Yeah, I mean it. that's fine. No, you no, can no, call no. it he that. He it called it a three four three. Yeah, he called it a three four three, which is an entirely different thing. Yes, um, that involves attacking wingers in addition to wingbacks, and this was not that. Um, he he ran it out the three five two to open the match. Um, honestly, for me, the biggest issue here isn't whether three five two was the right tactical choice against Mexico because it doesn't even get, we, we don't even reach the issue of tactics. This is running out an unfamiliar system against a very good team that, that may or may not be well drilled in whatever they are, but the U S Mexico U S's advantage has always been that they know what the hell they're doing when they go out, they're comfortable in their own skin and they just weren't in this game. (laughs) They weren't prepared um, to play this formation. And you can just see it in the fact that Tremaine Jones and Michael Bradley just told Jurgen we're not playing a three five two anymore. See, I don't think that's what happened there. I think they went over and asked, "What is happening? What are we doing? What is this?" Um, because you you can't transition to that formation against Mexico in a short camp like this. They didn't have a. This wasn't a World Cup buildup where you have a month to work on the the finer points. Um, I or think, even a January camp where you have two weeks. This right. was a three days to do this. And this is a situation where the U.S., the players are arguably on paper better in this formation than they are. And I'm talking about the formation they actually played rather than the 3-4-3, which they did not play. Right. Although um, I wouldn't if Klinsmann wanted that to be a 3-4-3, if he wants to call it a 3-4-3, he should be livid because his players did not play anything close <laughs> to approximating a 3-4-3. Um they didn't. They didn't get that part of it right. So, um, he tried to. He tried to spring a a formation that takes a lot of time to work on on short notice against the best team team in Concacaf. Um, 
And it's it's the sort of thing where it, it's an equal mix, uh, in my opinion at least, it's an equal mix of overconfidence and just not knowing the ins and outs of actual tactical coaching. Um, a so smarter Jurgening. Right. A, you know, a smarter yeah. coach understands that you can't jump into this formation against Mexico in a short camp. Um, this like, isn't, uh, you know, as you said, holding. this isn't the game to get away from what you know. This is the game where you stick with what you're yeah. good at. Um, and, like, and, and like Stu Holden identified, Mexico adapted to what the USA was doing immediately and switched their formation within, what, 20, well, 30, a minute of no, the game? I mean, no, like before kickoff, kickoff. Like yeah. as the game yeah. was about to kick off. Now, th- that's that just brings up another issue, which is that against Juan Carlos Osorio, who is a, a helpless tinkerer, he cannot stop yeah. himself yeah. from doing stuff that doesn't that doesn't work. This was a perfect game to play a solid, smart formation where everyone is comfortable in what they're doing, and let him to be the one that panics and changes everything up after fifteen minutes or whatever. Let him be the but idiot because no. he will walk himself into that rake. He will do the sideshow Bob routine where he just keeps stepping on the rake and getting hit in the face. He will do yep. that if Jürgen you let Klinsmann him do it. Said no, those are my rakes. Yes, Jurgen Klinsmann pushed him out of the way and jumped uh, enthusiastically on the rake. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to say to his credit necessarily, but um, I think we just had a podcast accident. Um, <laughs> yes, the podcast just uh, made a uh, a piece of luggage fall on himself. Okay. Did he live? Yes, he did. He ran out of the way after he uh, tipped it over and <laughs> dashed before it fell upon himself. Agent of chaos. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah. The the formation change to four four two was necessary, and yeah, it, it's Michael good Bradley that, did it. It's good that it happened when it did, but also like if you if you understand what you're getting into, you don't have to make this change at all. You just be in the formation you're more comfortable with, and Mexico maybe doesn't get going to the extent that they did. Um, and have the game feel in the first half. Mexico, Mexico could have been up by three rather than the one goal that they were up. Yeah, um, they just they they relentlessly attacked Omar Gonzalez, who is not great at defending in space, which is right. what your your outside center backs, your marking backs, have well, to do in a three man back line. Well, and Timmy Chandler didn't know what to do. Chandler. Yeah, and um, Timmy Chandler didn't know what to do to help out the yes the. Mexico hit the woodwork twice. Um, and on the actual goal, it, it was Michael Bradley losing um, an awkward 1v1 battle. Um, well, the ball kind just of, sort of got away. It, you yeah, know? and I mean, it was it was in the between him and another and guy. It happens. Yeah, it was no sandwiched one did in. anything about it. It just sort of sat there. Yeah, I mean, until... it was clear that, that Omar Gonzalez wasn't sure who was supposed to step up. Right. Um, no one was sure. Timmy Chandler wasn't sure uncertain. whether he was supposed to follow his the man or not because there were right. two guys out there, and Omar Gonzalez was just kind of, you know, thinking about really hard about staying on his feet. Right. I think, and because he was just so outside of his comfort zone, which Jurgen loves to say, but this is what happens when you get outside your comfort zone: is you have to go back to basics and you forget things that you know. Like you ask teachers about this, and it's well documented that when you are doing something new the things that are easy and automatic for you become less easy and automatic right and that's i think what we saw on that play is players who normally know exactly where to step up just they were thinking instead of playing and that's what happens and and, Jurgen should have known better and he didn't and we lost 
and and on that play, not that it's not that Jermaine Jones is involved in the goal, but this is the kind of play where normally we would see him just coming across and solving the problem for everyone else. When other right. things break down, he shows up uh, because he runs around so much. Um, this was an instance where he also wasn't playing in his normal style because of yep. all the other stuff that was going on. Um, and so he didn't come into her, uh, save the day. Um, yeah, the, the formation on paper, and I said this during, at the start of the game, the, on paper, it, it's a sensible formation. Um, if you were playing a video game, it would make a lot of sense with these players, but in the video games that, that are out there for soccer, you don't really get punished for a formation change to the extent that you do in real life. Um, the players adapt more quickly in your, in your game than they do in reality. Um, and the gaps that the U.S. left, especially with a Bradley Jones central midfield, which we already know has had its problems when they're the two most defensive players um, in, in a central midfield trio. Usually we're better when either Bradley sits deep uh, and Jermaine Jones is alongside somebody else ahead of him, or um, we've seen the four three three where those two have sat high. And and back mm-hmm. in the day when when Kyle Beckerman was still a viable starter in a game like this, he would have been a good option. Um, in this circumstance, Bradley would have been the number six that this group needed. Um, but instead, we got this, you know, Klinsman saying it's one formation. His players playing it like it's a different formation. And none of them really being certain on how to how to do it uh, in a critical World Cup qualifier, the first game of your World Cup qualifying cycle, um, when you are facing a team that you've only gotten one draw in nine attempts in the mm-hmm. second game, you have to go yeah. on the road to face the team that almost always beats you, and you decide to take the first game and roll the dice, uh, and not even roll the dice in a sensible manner. Um, you know, it's not like. I I would say roulette wheel, but that's not sensible either because roulette wheel, I mean, if you just bet on black, you've still got almost a 50% chance of winning. Right. Um, this is like betting Russian on roulette. a number. This is like saying 15. And, <laughs> and not then, hedging it by, and by expect, placing, yeah. it's placing all your chips on 15. Yes, expecting 15 to pay out when you walked in uh, and it, oh, it didn't work out. What a surprise. Um, well, and here's the thing. the That might not even be the worst part of this because... After the game, Jurgen Klinsmann said, oh, we had to change it up because Bradley and Jones weren't weren't getting into and winning the 1v1 battles that this system is designed to to create. And I, number one, I have no Screw idea what that Jürgen. means. If your system is based around your two guys winning one-on-one battles against Mexico's midfield, you need to rethink the system. And, and number two, why are you throwing your two basically your captain automatic start. Yeah. Yeah. Your automatic starters, like they are on on the paper before Tim Howard, even when he's not injured, which that sucks Uh, for the U S it sucks even more for Colorado that that Tim Howard is out for the duration. Um, Well into next year, it sounds like four months he'll be out. Um, I will note about Colorado that if they go to penalties again, which they're probably going to be playing for penalties against Seattle, if we're being honest. Yes. Zach McMath takes a ton of flack, but on penalty kicks, he has an excellent track record. His track record is actually better than Tim Howard's. Um, so if they can survive to penalty kicks, McMath might actually end up with some sort of redemptive storyline because he will probably save a couple penalty kicks. Uh, that's just what he does. It's not the rest of his game has has flaws, but in penalty kicks, he has always had 
a lot of success going back to college. So good yeah. luck, Rapids, getting to penalty kicks. Uh, because if you get there, you might actually have something going on. It's just the other part. The, the rest of the soccer might be your problem now. It wouldn't be... I wouldn't be me if I didn't look for something positive from this game. And so I'm going to look at the forward line of Josie Altidore and Bobby Wood, who, especially in the second half, when the the team behind them was a little sturdier, they looked really good. Josie Altidore on Bobby Wood's goal, his turn and Pat, like his turn was ridiculous. It was one of the better plays I've seen from an American forward in, in some time in international competition. But then the pass to Bobby Wood to split the defense and put Bobby Wood in a spot where he could take a touch and, and go to goal was it, it was phenomenal. It was one of the best plays Josie Altador has made uh, in a USA shirt. And it was it was a great play. And he had a couple of great turns like that. Mexico really didn't have an answer for his holdup play. And I mean, he's been ever like for all that we've criticized people coming back for MLS for uh, Josie has done a really good job in MLS and it has actually transferred to his uh, U.S. men's national team play, uh, be it injury, be it just confidence, whatever it is, it's working for Josie. And right now, Josie's playing probably the best soccer he's ever played for the national team. And that's really great. Jason, let's look forward now to Costa Rica. Like you you hinted earlier that that is not a place where the U.S. gets results. I think the U.S. men's national team have never won in Costa Rica, at least not in the hexagonal. Um, right. I, maybe, maybe not ever. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. What is it, 0-9-1? Yeah, a uh, draw. They have the one draw, and it's either eight or nine losses. Yeah, it's a lot. So how do they fix it? How do they get back on to, you know, get, get three points, which is... It, not vital. One point at least is vital, but but three points would be darn nice going into uh, or going out of this international break. Uh, I think the main thing they've struggled with in a lot of these games in Costa Rica has been keeping a hold of the momentum of the game and keeping the temperature of the game down. Um, they really want to make this game kind of uneventful. They want the crowd to stop being... You know, the Costa Rican crowd is, is usually the most furious away crowd that you, you find in CONCACAF. Um, you want to bring them down so they're not driving the game so much. Um, you want to get Costa Rica off uh, their, their, the pace of play that they would like. You want to you slow the game down and make it so that they're having to think a lot more instead of just doing and, and playing fluidly. Um, so you've got to come through the first 25 minutes. You don't just want to be bunkering, um, because then Costa Rica is going to get the feeling that they're knocking on the door. Um, you want to push back a little bit. You want to make them feel like this isn't going that well for them right now. Um, because I, especially with the current Costa Rica team, I think they are vulnerable to letting, letting that kind of get to them. Um, but the main thing for the U S has to be being solid, uh, throughout, you know, all from front to back, they have to be solid. Um, they have to have control of the tempo of the game and they have to be able to, if not dictate the terms, at least make sure that the terms aren't being dictated to them. Um, they've got to deal with Brian Ruiz, um, who's always causing problems for the U S. Um, Hoel Campbell is still an excellent speed option, uh, who plays pretty well with Ruiz. They, they, those two are able to switch spots uh, on the fly and still find each other, so that's a threat. Um, 
But I also think that this this Costa Rica team isn't anything particularly special. I think they're maybe not as good as they were in the last cycle. Um, I think the World Cup uh, was sort of their high mark, and they're sort of coming back down now a little bit. Um, on the other hand, they did go and pretty calmly dispatch of Trinidad and Tobago. Granted, Trinidad and Tobago is the, the weak link in the hex. Um, they're, I mean, spoiler alert, in the future, they're going to finish sixth. Um but, you know, going there and winning 2 nothing is still not anything to scoff at. Um, there are going to be teams that go there and don't get a win. Um, so Costa Rica's in a, a pretty good position right now. Um, the U.S. needs to make this game more calm than normal. I, I think we've seen a lot of U.S.-Costa Rica game, games get very fractious and very volatile. Um, I imagine that they're still upset about the snow game. Um so that, that's is a, there a that's, way to make it snow in Costa Rica? I don't think that's possible. I don't know enough about um, changing the climate of a region or controlling the weather. I don't have that skill set. Uh, I didn't study that uh, when I was in school. Um, I also don't know that anyone has <laughs> studied that efficiently enough where they could make snow happen in Costa Rica. But uh, everyone you know, think cold the, thoughts. If Nike and U.S. Soccer put some money towards it, maybe they can find somebody that's capable of that. I, I don't know. Well, but, uh, Jason, what do you think will happen? Will, uh, will the U.S. be able to avoid having terms dictated to them? Will they look competent? Will or or will it be? Will Jurgen Klinsmann run out in a, a two three five, which, granted, is unbeaten in living memory, but. <laughs> But there's a reason it hasn't been played yeah. in living memory. Um, it all, a lot of it comes down to what the lineup is, which with with Klinsman is always a complete variable. We know it's pretty safe to predict that Bobby Wood and Josie Altador are going to start together. Um, which means can, either another three five two or a four four two. Right. Um, we can be pretty certain that Brad Guzan is going to step into goal. Yeah. Um, we can be certain that Fabian Johnson will be somewhere. Um, Bradley and Jones will be out there. Uh, Pulisic will be out there uh, on one wing or the other, or possibly through the middle again. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- there are so many wild cards, and Klinsman's inability to just pick a lineup and stick with it and let that group get together and, and understand each other means that we've always got these variables where it's hard to say what's going to happen and what kind of team we're going to see. Um, the U.S. is capable of going into Costa Rica, frustrating Costa Rica, and getting a win. They're also capable of completely screwing up and being down by two in 15 minutes and just having no chance in the game. Um, Jasper has strong opinions. I, I imagine Jasper has some strong things to say about Jurgen Klinsmann's uh, management of his roster as well as uh, his, day, his game day planning, but... Uh, Jasper just wants to bite Jurgen Klinsmann. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a family-friendly show. We can't go into uh, Jasper's unedited thoughts. It shouldn't thoughts. be. We, 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 should, we should eventually change this to be a non-family-friendly show. I mean, we drink a lot on it, so it's already kind of not family-friendly. Yeah, but we're not using the words that we could We've use. We've given our guests permission to swear when they've, on the occasion that our guests have asked. Only a few have actually bothered asking. Uh, plenty of yeah. them have just gone for it. Yeah, um, which is also fine. <laughs> yeah. We, it wasn't an, like we stopped them. We're an enlightened family. We're okay with language. Um, 
I think that's it for us this week, though. Thank you all for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Uh, look for us soon on on Google Play. Um, I promise that's eventually probably think, maybe going to happen. I think we've said it 10 times in a row, so now we're qualified. Is that, is that, as, many times, is that as many times as we said we were going to change uh, RSS feeds and then we never did? I think we've said did this we? a lot more than that. Yeah, I don't I, know. I was re-listening. We've, we said that. We said the uh, feed burner was going away a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, we did. We, because we'd been told that feed burner was going away. And here we are five years later and feed burner is still going strong. So watch them watch cancel it next week. Nothing we say actually is, is true. We don't yeah. know what we're talking about. Thanks for <laughs> listening. Been, <laughs> you should tell a friend about the show, by the way. That was next on my list of, of things to say. If you've listened this long, you care what we talk about. Um, and you know that we, we, we know not of what we speak. Um, again, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you real soon for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Right, Jason. Jason.